on America Can We Talk. I talk about election integrity, border security, healthcare freedom, race relations, energy and tax policy, education policy, free speech and assembly, freedom of religion, and all other issues that touch on the God-given right of every American to life, liberty, and the pursuit of their version of happiness. Stay tuned. Coming up next, America Can We Talk with your host, Debbie Georgiatos. And hello and welcome to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie Georgiatos. And welcome especially to one of our Thursday shows. I love the Thursday shows because we have a really in-depth conversation with a wonderful uh, subject matter expert, uh, influencer, people who uh, work on topics that I care deeply about and why I do my show, America Community Talk. I'm going to quickly mention before I introduce our guest uh, that you may be able to tell I'm not in our usual studio in Dallas. We are out of town visiting family, but I'm so grateful that I can do the show, especially the Thursday show, even from out of town. I want to say special thanks to Real News PR that um, enables this to happen, and to my producer, Emilio Diaz, uh, who endlessly accommodates last-minute changes, very cheerful all the time, no matter what I change up, and grateful he's available to do this show, too, from here. Also want to mention that, so I'm doing two more, there are two more Thursdays while we're out here um, in, on vacation. Uh, next Thursday, I'm not doing a show. It happens to be our wedding anniversary. We have family coming in. We're going to have a little anniversary fun. Uh, and then the final Thursday in August, I have joining me Gordon Chang, uh, who is a tremendous expert on China. And uh, he's always got some amazing new discovery he's made about really the attempt of Chinese inroads to eventually work toward uh, destruction of America and certainly uh, destruction of America's uh, military and political strength. So he'll be a fabulous guest, but we also have a fabulous, fabulous guest today. Uh, in fact, I was telling our guest today, I'm pretty sure when I started doing the special Thursday shows with an in-studio audience, and uh, which, you know, in Dallas, every Thursday, we have an in-studio audience. People love the Thursday show. I love the Thursday show. Um, I think he was the very first Thursday guest we had. I'm pretty sure that's true. I meant to look it up, but this would be like four years ago now. And um, he came in to talk about uh, a book that he's written, or I can't remember why he was there. But anyway, we're talking about immigration. Um, and so it's great to have him back on a Thursday. His name is Todd Benzman, and um, he is now with the Center for um, Immigration Studies, or that is CIS.org, CIS.org. And it is a great organization. I just spent a bunch of time on their website this morning. They do in-depth immigration research, policy preparation, testimony. In fact, we'll be talking a little bit about testimony Todd Benzman gave just very recently in the United States Congress related to the condition of our U.S. border, which is, of course, completely terrible. But before we bring him on, I do want to also share with you uh, his title um, at the Center for Immigration Studies uh, is the Senior National Security Fellow. He is also the author of a book called Overrun, How Joe Biden Unleashed the Greatest Border Crisis in U.S. History. Um, and also um, the author of America's Covert Border War, The Untold Story of the Nation's Battle 
to prevent jihadist infiltration. So he's just a he's a great thinker, a great uh, writer, and also before just quickly before we bring him out, to one more thing about him. And the reason I'm doing this, by the way, that you know whenever we have a big issue come up in America, we all of a sudden have hundreds and thousands of new experts. We have everybody's got an opinion, and I I love the participation in the American political conversation. I try always try in America can we talk to bring very serious substantive experts experts who can really talk to you, talk truth about the issues that we are facing. So. Prior to joining Center for, Center for Immigration Studies, um, Todd Bensman led the Homeland Security Intelligence efforts for nine years in the public sector. In 2009, he transitioned from journalism uh, to join the Texas Department of Public Safety's Intelligence and Counterterrorism Division, where he managed teams of intelligence analysts that worked in concert with federal Homeland Security and U.S. intelligence community agencies to identify and mitigate terrorism threats. This is a substantive, serious student of the immigration issue uh, of what's happening at our border today. He's down on the border frequently, so he can tell you what is happening, and also someone who is accomplished and articulate enough to testify in Congress and try to explain it uh, with the great hope that more action can be taken, uh, even under the present administration, which seems completely delighted to leave the border open. So let me introduce to the show, welcome to the show, Todd Benzman. Hi, Todd. Great to be here. Great to be here. Thank you. Appreciate it. Great to see you, sir. And actually, you know, um, I saw you not too long ago. I'm just remembering this because you were in Dallas where uh, Center for Immigration Studies is putting on a program, uh, put on a program that relates to your work, what the center does. And it's really a, a, a need for people to understand the fabulous resource and the experts that are available at Center for uh, Immigration Studies and, and the I think he's a founder. He's certainly the head of it. Mark Krikorian uh, has been on the show numerous times. And so I went to that. You made you all made a great presentation about what is happening at the um, border and what your work is at Center for Immigration Studies. And I just realized you have an event coming up in Houston, right? I do have that information. Yes. Do you want to quick share that? Yeah, on August 30th, Houston Country Club. So if people wanted to go to that, how do they sign up? Uh, well, that's a. I think that one's an invitation only. But if they contact me, I can hook them up. I can hook you okay. up. Okay. Sorry about that. I was trying to help get some people there, and I'll tell you. I think anyone who listens to this show is a very serious and substantive thinker. But okay, uh, I didn't know. I understand why you would do that, though. I do understand. Okay. So um, I wanted to start start with. I guess your recent test. I do want to talk about your book because I reread a, a very lengthy summary of it this morning. It was a, a great book. But I want to talk to start today, if we can, uh, regarding your testimony. Um, in fact, it was on the Center for Immigration Studies website. At, again, for, for my friends out there, cis.org. Uh, testimony: The real cost of an open border. How Americans are paying the price. And you, I believe, you testified before the. House represents Committee on Homeland Security uh, and, and to a particular subcommittee. So um, how recent was this this uh, testimony? Uh, it was about two weeks ago. Uh, and it was the joint committee of the House, is joint subcommittees of um, border security and counterterrorism. Okay. Well, I love they have someone like you who's so knowledgeable. So um, I, part of what you did, and I really want to um, walk people through this, because I tell you, I think I told you this in the phone the other day, so many people, if you don't live in Texas or California, Arizona, or New Mexico, and you live somewhere else, you may know there's a 
you keep hearing there's a border security problem, but I loved how your testimony was able to make the point. It's not just the border communities who are impacted by the Biden administration's simple refusal to enforce the border, but the consequences flow around the country. And I thought you ended up making that point very well. So let's just start out with, so uh, what were the great policies that President Trump had in place prior to his leaving the White House that helped secure the border? What were the main good things he was doing down there? Well, I'd have to say there were three. Uh, the first main thing that he did was a policy that's known colloquially as remain in Mexico. And all that was is it was just to say, hey, if we catch you crossing between the ports of entry uh, and you try to claim asylum, we're going to push you back into Mexico to wait for the adjudication of your asylum claim, not wait inside the United States, uh, which you know means you can just disappear. So then all of a sudden, nobody was interested in asylum, right? Because nobody came for the great Mexican dream. So that caused immigrants by the hundreds of thousands to just stay home and wait for a better day. Nobody wanted to get stuck in Mexico for four, five, six years. They want to get stuck inside the United States so they can disappear. Uh, number two was uh, there was a policy put in place that said, if you cross through a safe country that we declare, that we deem safe, you also, and you didn't claim asylum in that safe country, you cross two, three, four, five borders to get to this safe country, you're automatically, you know, a fraudster. So you have to apply in the first safe country that you come to. And nobody was interested in that because the first safe country was like Guatemala. So, you know, nobody wanted to live in Guatemala. So, uh, and the third one was, those two by, by themselves were highly effective. Uh, a third one was Title 42 when the pandemic came. And that meant that everybody got pushed back who crossed the border into Mexico immediately. No questions asked, nobody gets to claim asylum. And between those three, the Trump people bequeathed to the Biden people a border that was about maybe 30, 20 to 30,000 uh, apprehensions a month, which sounds high, but not compared to the 200,000 that we've had for the last 30 months every month. I love you did that summary. And, you know, I do want to touch on one thing before. we. What I want to hit today, by the way, um, I want to talk about your testimony, talk about how things change under Biden, talk about the appearance at the southern border. And in fact, appearance at the Florida uh, border of people who are Chinese, milita Chinese military age men coming into America, the threat that an alarming appearance and threat that seems to pose. Um, I do want to talk about your book. I want to talk about the border buoy. I think the name of it, the floating marine barrier, uh, which the um, is, is down there, which uh, at the border in the river, not at the behest of the Biden administration, but because of the efforts of, of Governor Greg Abbott in the great state of Texas. Uh, so I want to hit that too. Um, so yeah, I think that's about it. And then, yeah, we, we have a bunch of other things. I just, I'm so grateful for your organization because you, you cover a bunch of things. But back to where we are. So Trump did those things. One of the quick points I can make, I understood because I talked about those policies uh, when Trump was doing them. And part of this whole thing about uh, this safe country was that was actually at least a common understanding of asylum policy even prior to the time Trump made it enforceable, which was yet the notion that asylum means 
you are fleeing because you're being persecuted. And so if you're applying for uh, asylum or refuge in a country, you know, if the real fact is you're being persecuted in your own country, then, you know, you, you know, the, the human heart wants to say, well, find a place to help you go. But you, when you're really going through countries where you could make that declaration, seek asylum, and you don't, you're really not an asylee in the true sense of that term. And I, I just recall reading about that. Asylum was, this is a common provision in other countries. You can't just show up and say, I'd like to become a, a citizen of your country. You, you flee where you are with the notion the next safe country you cross is where you're supposed to apply. Hasn't that been kind of a, I don't know if the term is common law, but a common understanding of the idea of asylum in the past? Yeah, of course. Uh, if you cross 10 countries uh, to get to the United States, and then you claim political persecution, you need protection, you're just a liar. You, you, you could have gone to the country next door to get safety. Uh, you're coming because you're an economic migrant and you want to live the fabled, indulgent American lifestyle, let's face it. And most of them will say so. If you interview, like I do, uh, uh, immigrants on the way here before lawyers get to them, that's what they'll tell you. I'm coming to work. We can make a lot more money in the United States than anywhere else. Well, that is not a grounds for, uh, that's not political persecution. That's, you're, you're an economic migrant and uh, you, you will be expelled under our laws or you're supposed to be expelled under our laws. Yeah, but that would be assume we have enforcement of our current laws, which is another problem that we have in America. In any case, I love that you testified recently in Congress with the Joint Committee you described, and you hit on three ways in which but there's a broader impact on the American population by the utterly unenforced border of America. Uh, the three you hit on were the public school systems, public school burden, uh, unnecessary preventable crime, which many organizations are pointing out you know, the rise in crime committed at the hands of people who really shouldn't have been here anyway. And the third being unfunded burdens for local communities. And the reason I like you did that is uh, I didn't necessarily support the effort when Governor Abbott and Governor DeSantis started busing people up to New York and other places because they're kind of busing people in the same thing that conservatives were saying, that's what Biden was doing, letting people in and busing all over the place. Um, and so it didn't really solve the problem, but it did start to make the point you've now had people in, I think it was New York City mayors, uh, you know, whining about, this is terrible. We don't have enough resources. So it kind of brought the problem home. Uh, but actually, let me ask you, what was your thought about that busing policy? Did you think that was a wise way to handle things or make a, make a point so it was worth it? Uh, you know, I thought it was a little gimmicky. Uh, at the time, I, I, I thought it was, it was a, uh, I appreciated it though. Uh, it was a fun gimmick. It didn't do anybody any harm whatsoever, not the immigrants, uh, not the community that was receiving it. Uh, but it made a good point. And I think just ahead of the midterm elections, it brought a lot of attention to the fact that the southern border is an open sieve, uh, that everybody who reaches it gets in, is allowed in for the first time in American history. Uh, now, the fact of the matter is that uh, tens of thousands of immigrants had been going of their own volition to these same cities for a year and a half straight. Uh, the, the, the busing that the Texans did was nothing new at all. It just attracted media cameras. 
Uh, but all those all of those cities are already just completely filled to the rafters with illegal immigrants. Yeah. Okay. Let's just hit the three impacts that you described in your testimony to Congress. I really, I love. I'm just so impressed and grateful you did this. Uh, the first one, you talk about the public school system, and I did. I know you went into in your testimony. If you can briefly summarize for us, the uh, the benefit that people who are coming over America's southern border illegally benefit they that comes to them if they bring children with them. And this has to do with the Flora settlement. Can you just quickly tell why all of a sudden it became popular? to drag kids along or to have some, as you, we've now all been talking about, um, unaccompanied minors. Would you explain that situation? Well, remember earlier in your show, I mentioned some of the Trump policies uh, that were in place. On the very first day, I was literally inauguration day. Uh, remember I mentioned Title 42 and remain in Mexico in the safe third country. All three of those policies were, uh, were killed on inauguration day. And uh, new policies were put in place that created exemptions in Title 42 pushbacks for families with young children, unaccompanied minors and pregnant women. So if you were one of those categories anywhere in Latin America or anywhere in the entire world and you heard that, uh, you were going to be on your way to the border because we were going to let you in. So if you showed up as a kid or with a kid, uh, or pregnant with a kid or postpartum, uh, we let you in guaranteed 100% of the time. So that means that this, and it's never stopped, and that means that this mass migration crisis was very child-centric, uh, school-age children, uh, hundreds upon hundreds of thousands, and I argue millions of school-age children have crossed over that border in the last 30 months alone, and they have to go somewhere. Where do they go? All over America into your public school system. 1982 Supreme Court ruling says we got to take them. And you can't ask about, you know, immigration status or anything like that. Uh, and so uh, this is a very obvious first place that most average Americans will feel uh, the pain of that sudden influx of non-English speaking, uninsured, uneducated or undereducated children in your school districts where there's no space, nobody budgeted for them. Uh, it wasn't anything that anybody could plan for. And so um, I brought that up, especially one particular case study here in Texas, Liberty County, Texas, the Cleveland Independent School District to just show how um, incredibly painful it is to a school district. That one grew, uh, it quintupled in size inside of five years. And 90% Latino students, 55% um, uh, are not proficient in English and huge numbers of them weren't even educated enough in their own countries to be able to take a standardized test. And yet they will be taking standardized tests and have been. Um, all sorts of problems happening in our school districts, uh, uncovered, no media attention whatsoever to any of this. The Cleveland Independent School District did not reach out to me. I just knocked the door and they said, oh my God, let me tell you the story. That's happening all across America. What that looks like is tax hiking bond elections every year 
to pay for portable classrooms and expansions of existing facilities so that there's some place to put them. Uh, hiring teachers, uh, implementing ESL curriculum, bringing in ESL teachers, lower standards, lower grades, lower standardized test scores, uh, and uh, school districts that your kids and your families might not want to be in anymore. You know, I'm so glad you raised that point. It really is true. You know, you hear people, um, I mean, especially during the um, Obama era where the, they were letting everybody in and everyone sympathizing with the children. Oh, we got to care for these children. But, you know, the fact is, when we say we have to care for them, the American people didn't vote for this policy. They did not agree that the southern border should be overrun. They did not agree that anyone in the world can simply walk over the border and be granted because they happen to have a child with them, be granted capacity to come into the country. Even if they're told, hey, by the way, you're going to have an asylum hearing, which they, of course, never come to. This is an, it's an unfunded mandate. It's also a not, it's not governments by we the people. It, it is really an overrunning, it is a policy embraced by this administration that simply forces uh, school districts around the country to accommodate this. And as you say, if they don't speak English, or they're not up to, up to uh, proficiency in, in, in uh, whatever the subject matters are, the entire uh, focus of effort by the administration, the teachers, has to adjust to this new population. And again, it's, no one except the Biden administration decided they wanted to do this. This wasn't a vote by the American people. I love that you brought that up. Um, and on the public schools too, so much strain already, so much pressure on the schools already um, about funding and all of that. To add this absolutely unnecessary element, um, it, it really deprives many and families coverage of it either but i mean if you're watching this uh go ahead and google the name of your school district and portable classrooms and if you see that your school district is buying a ton of portable classrooms just dig a little bit deeper and you'll see that those are all illegal migrant children you know i want to throw and say something too I, and when marco corin was on this show we kind of uh, it was quite a while ago we talked about a lot which was the idea America has a very generous immigra legal immigration system. And I, I think when we were talking about it, it was like a million people a year, people will follow the law and come to America. So if someone lives in some country where they do not feel they have the best opportunity uh, to move forward in life or their, or their children, they want a better life for them, we actually offer that in America. We offer a system. So the people who follow that and then come to America and put their children in public schools who follow the immigration laws, they're harmed too because they're, the schools their kids are, are going to attend yes. are going to have all the same, do you say the, the have to provide education to people who didn't, who, who just flaunted the law? Any comment? That's, or, right. That's exactly right. And, you know, most of the um, immigrant parents that are coming in are not homeowners, so they're not paying for any of this. It's the pre-existing parents and students who are paying the cost for all of these newcomers and they didn't ask for it but they are being asked to approve bond elections uh, successively across the country google your school district and bond election uh, you'll find uh, that they're asking you for more money every single year to pick this pick up this tab okay hey before we get i want to discuss the two other uh, points you made about overarching impacts of illegal immigration and the southern border being um, overwhelmed, which are public school yeah. burdens, unnecessary crime, and uh, unfunded burdens for local communities. But before I do that, I meant to ask you at the beginning, give us a broad 
uh, sweep of the numbers. You made some allusion to them earlier, but the broad sweep of the numbers. What is the result of the lax policy at the border? I mean, I think everyone knows the answer, but just put it in numerical and some perspective in terms of numbers, what's happening at the border. Sure. Um, well, first of all, in any given year prior to the Biden administration going back 15 years, let's just say, uh, the typical number that would be apprehended by Border Patrol would be somewhere in the neighborhood of 300 to 400,000 a year. Sounds like a lot. We wish we could see that now, but uh, 300 to 400,000 a year every year. That's just the number that Border Patrol laid hands on. Um, we are looking at 200 plus thousand every month now, and it's been that way for 30 months straight. Uh, that's the, the number of apprehensions at the border somewhere in the neighborhood of 9 million uh, in the last uh, two and a half years, 9 million. So, uh, you know, can tuple the normal number. Um, the number of people that were actually that we think are in the country that got didn't get pushed back under Title 42 when it was still around is somewhere in the neighborhood, we believe, of about 5 million people that are newly uh, entered and living in the United States that the administration either let in, uh, stamp their papers and let them in to self-report at an interior ICE office uh, at their convenience, or who ran and got away undetected. Uh, we think that there's about 2 million of those, uh, uh, that we call them gotaways, uh, that were able to get through. That's a huge record. Not, nothing like that, no numbers like that ever uh, in the history of the country, on any of these numbers in the history of the country. Uh, millions and millions of people. And I just want to point out that, um, you know, we're only a, a, about a little more than halfway through. Uh, there are millions more coming. We are not done with this. They are pouring over that southern border today, yesterday, next month, the month after. There is no let up whatsoever. Uh, all the way until uh, maybe there's a new occupant of the White House. If there isn't, this is going to go on another four years. You'll have 20 million, 30 million people in the United States crossing the border. Absolutely. And one thing I really appreciate and respect about the Center for Immigration Studies, which is uh, where with whom you're connected, they are very, very conservative and very careful in the estimates they give. Because I can tell you, our, our lieutenant governor in this state, I've heard him speak in the great state of Texas, Dan Patrick, been on the show recently. You know, he's a, um, he's, a, he's a great guy. But in any case, he has given far higher estimates of the, than you're describing of the number of illegal aliens residing in America likely to be by the time Biden's first term ends. I'm just saying you're conservative and I appreciate that about that. And, and maybe because it's probably extremely, you know, you can back it with what you've observed. But I, you know, you hear many people of very serious things the numbers are far higher. Just the conservative numbers are terrible enough. Uh, and, uh, and we do admit that th this is probably an undercount, mainly due to the, the gotaways, because gotaways are notoriously poorly count accounted for. The people that got through, you count their tracks in the foot, in the, their tracks in the sand or from a blimp or something. Uh, and then when nobody caught them, so we count those. But the true, the scope of the gotaways has got to be much higher because uh, Border Patrol has been 
pulled off of the border in huge swaths of the uh, borderlands, and there's nobody to count the footprints. Exactly. Okay. Because I want to hit so many other topics, I was quickly touch on the two other points you made because I really want to commend you for That's testifying fine. Congress, giving a very substantive, serious presentation. Should have been a wake-up call to people in the media who actually care about this, but most of the media does not. The other uh, second point you made about the impact on the American citizenry overall of the unenforced southern border had to do with a great unnecessary crime wave. Can you just describe in you know maybe two minutes what is the your sense of that? How how has the how how do you tie the crime wave to the number of people who've come across illegally? Well, like this. First of all, I just want to point out that almost nobody counts crime by illegal immigrant. The state of Texas does, has for years. And uh, recently, the state of Florida under DeSantis decided to start doing it. Uh, but the other 48 states will not uh, tally violent crime or any other kind of crime by illegal, by immigration status. So we don't really know. All we can do is say this, that 100% of all crime committed by anybody who is here illegally was unavoidable, I mean, was avoidable and unnecessary. Um, murders, uh, manslaughters by drunken drivers, burglaries, uh, assault and battery, rape, child molestations. Uh, and when we look at the, the numbers for Texas, uh, which I put in my testimony, uh, in the hundreds of thousands for, you know, assault and rape and uh, thousands for murder. Uh, and that's just one, one state. It's a big state. But I put the Texas numbers in there because uh, they give you some hint about what it would be like in all the different states. And then you can get a, start to get a sense that there is incredible crime violent crime, terrible, horrible, uh, you know, rapes and, um, you know, mass slaughters and gang violence and all of which is unnecessary because they should not have been here. They were let in. Or if they got in, they should have been deported multiple times. Um, we don't deport anybody anymore in this country from the interior. Uh, and so uh, even hardened criminals that we know about, when they get out of prison, even they get to stay. When they get out of jail, even they get to stay. Uh, nobody gets deported. And it's just uh, really, I can't even understand why Democrats would would not want to talk about this and get on board with it. They never do. Oh, they never do. Yeah, the whole issue is just every time there's any discussion of immigration, the issue is cast in terms of are you a compassionate person and care about the poor or don't you? Or is it you don't look like people don't look like you. They try to make it into a racial issue or a national um, you know, ethnicity issue or intolerance or something. Instead of just a simple fact, the American people who live here, who made the contract of citizenship with the country, who agree to be law abiding citizens, are not being protected by their own government. And the crimes that occur at the hands of people with no right to be here are really fall. Uh, they, sh they are accountable or should be held accountable. The officials who are causing us to happen by not enforcing the border. Okay, last is one quick thing. You also talked about American cities and towns feeling under siege. 
And, you know, there's a, um, I, I have to say, it's a little bit entertaining to listen to the uh, New York City mayor, I think it's Eric Adams, just lamenting and whining about, this is terrible, we have no place to put these people. It's like, welcome to the policies, your party backs. In fact, I think he finally said um, a couple of days ago, I think that the Biden administration needs to work, needs to do something about the border. I mean, he finally had to say, well, what are you going to do with all these people? Okay, so I, I love you did that. I want to just run through some things because I think people are hearing these stories and I want to talk with you about um, this story about military age men from China, young Chinese single uh, men being uh, apprehended at the border in kind of shocking numbers. And I don't know if you had a chance. I, I texted you an article, but it was only like an hour ago. So one article that made this point, and for our listeners, oh wait, before I do that, for our listeners, go read Todd's testimony. You can read it at cis.org, cis.org. It's called the real cost of an open border, how Americans are paying the price. Great, great um, piece of testimony. Okay, so on the subject of the Chinese immigrants crossing the southern border in record numbers, and let me just point, they clearly did not walk here. I mean, obviously someone is assisting them in getting here. What's been your experience at the border observing uh, Chinese young military age men entering America and whether the numbers are going up in your opinion? Right. Well, I have met Chinese uh, immigrants coming through. Unfortunately, it's difficult to interview them because of the language barrier. Uh, I've tried with a little phone app that, that goes Chinese to English. Uh, not great. But, um, but I do know uh, from kind of a collection of reporting by other people down there uh, and just, just from um, some news accounts that we probably have seen We've always had Chinese nationals coming over the border uh, every year for just for a long, long time, but in much smaller numbers. And we probably have seen about uh, somewhere on the order of 15 to 20,000 come through in just the past uh, six months. So there is a massive surge of Chinese nationals, uh, young, um, kind of in their 20s, I'd, I'd say, uh, Chinese men. Uh, for the most part, I have met some Chinese women, but they're usually men um, that are coming through. Uh, they, we, we don't know a whole lot about, uh, you know, what, what the, their circumstances are because they seem very coached in what never to divulge, what not to say uh, universally. Uh, you just can't really ever get any details about where they flew, who paid for it, or any, any questions they'll say, that's personal. Uh, I can't talk about that um, to, to that effect. But we do know that a great many of them are flying into Ecuador on tourist visas. Uh, Ecuador um, markets its tourism, its tourism bureau markets the Galapagos Islands to Chinese uh, come to Chi come to Ecuador. But there's also uh, it's very easy takes about $10 and 10 minutes online to get a tourist visa if you're from China. So they fly in and then, of course, there's no return ticket. Or if there is a return ticket, the planes are empty. Nobody's returning. Uh, and then, you know, they go through the Darien Gap or sometimes they fly directly into Mexico, uh, Cancun or Tijuana. And then they'll just uh, hit our border and declare asylum. Um, a lot of them are saying uh, that they're fleeing the COVID pandemic lockdowns of the, the draconian 
lockdowns and that, that that's their political persecution. We let all of them in. Uh, we, we don't deport any Chinese. Every Chinese gets in. Um, most of them come in with no identification whatsoever. I lost it. I got robbed. I have no ID. Uh, so we have no idea really who any of these people are. And as I've mentioned to you and I've written uh, many times that I believe uh, that there are probably um, uh, spies among them. Why not? Uh, they bring the Chinese send spies into the United States. Research uh, facilities all the time and we catch them and there's lots of economic espionage going on. Of course, they're bringing them in that way too. So that's about all I can tell you about that. They do spend about uh, anywhere from uh, $8,000 to $30,000 a head to, to, um, for the journey, the smuggling all the way through. Um, they're very well equipped, very well uh, prepared. They have everything. Uh, these are very well planned uh, journeys. Okay, I've got to say, Todd Benjamin, I am glad to have all that validation from you. I want to encourage our listeners to think about what you're just hearing now uh, and contrast it with or meld it together with your understanding the various reports we've heard recently on this show. The re recent interview of two or three weeks ago with Sam Faddis, a former CIA operative, a, you know, covert undercover operator for decades who is describing the Chinese intention to take down America, along with Brad Thayer, wonderful national security expert, been talking about the Chinese intentions toward America. And in two weeks from today, August 31st, we have Gordon Chang coming on. I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm wanting to raise this to say, we can't, uh, first of all, to, as to what Todd was saying, obviously somebody's paying for this. These are not, the Chinese average citizen young men are not wealthy and somehow they're coming, I'm gonna give you some numbers in a moment from the border patrol, but these people are not coming of their own volition, are not coming on their own uh, dime. Somehow someone's paying for them. It's very orchestrated, it's very organized, it's large numbers of people coming into America, Chinese military age men. And I say that, I throw in, I use the term military age men because there's great concern about China's intentions toward America. China has very openly talked about the desire to take down America. They intend by, the first were saying by 2049, the great 100th anniversary or 50th anniversary of their takeover. Now they're saying uh, that of the CCP takeover of China. Now they're saying we're gonna have America taken down before then. Uh, you'll hear some amazing reports from Gordon Chang about that. It's very, very serious. I'm getting at not only the first part of this interview, we're talking about how the impact of the failure to enforce the border is simply impacting schools and cities and crimes, and it is. And, and there's no effort to enforce the border. You have to get that through your head. This is not just sloppy policy. It's a policy decision to not enforce the border. Compound that with what we're talking about now with these Chinese military age men crossing America's border at a time when Congress is deeply looking into the Biden family having brought in millions of dollars directly flowing from the CCP to the Biden family. And now you have individuals coming to America in various ways well-stocked, well-planned, well-organized, obviously ready to do something, and they're funded by someone. Now I have to give you some numbers. During the fir first, this is from uh, U.S. Customs and Border Protection, CB CPB. During the first six months of fiscal year 2023, which actually began October 2022, border agents apprehended 6,558 Chinese migrants, and these are just the ones they caught. 
6,558 Chinese migrants who enter the U.S. outside of a legal port of entry. This apprehension of that number of Chinese migrants in six months nearly equals the combined totals of the entire six previous years. So the total we had last year is the same as the previous, the last six years. There's also now reports of Chinese uh, illegal aliens entering America from sailing in on boats into Florida, apprehended in Miami by the uh, border, border Patrol. And these are people, they have no right to be here. They found their way here. They're funded well enough to travel around the world, get an airline ticket or however it is they got here. And they're coming in. So when I tell you that the concern and, and just outrage level with the Biden administration, it just cannot be high enough. Last stat statistic is in February, officials said the Rio Grande Valley sector one of the busiest sectors along the U.S. southern border has seen more than a 900% increase in Chinese nationals over the same time last year. A 900, and I'm just, I'm going to put this up on our website later, but please understand this is not just an interesting, you know, observation about what, uh, you know, who's coming to the border. It is very alarming for anyone paying attention and who is funding it. I mean, easy to point the finger at China, but the idea that China speaks openly of its desire to take down America, they're sending people here, and you have the Border Patrol under the direction of the Biden administration doing nothing. They simply don't enforce the border. Okay, I, I want to get that spew in because I can tell you how much I just, I just think people should be on their feet protesting. I want to turn to the floating marine barrier, but I do want to ask you first if you have anything you want to comment about the story I was just telling about the number of people coming here from China illegally. Uh, other than that, there are far more than the 6,500 that you mentioned for the first six months of 2023. It's probably three times that many now uh, by this time. They're still coming in large numbers. That's it. Lots more coming. That's amazing. Okay, last thing is, so here in the great state of Texas, Governor Abbott, you know, we Texans have been really uh, lobbying or um, agitating for the governor of Texas to take action to enforce the border because the Biden administration, as a chosen policy objective, will not enforce the southern border. I mean, what they did on Inauguration Day is all you need to know what the Biden team did. So uh, Governor Abbott decided a great, well, he has this thing called a floating marine barrier. And uh, Mr. Emilio, I sent you a picture of one of those. Just quickly show our audience what that looks like. Did you get that, Emilio? Yeah, okay, look, just hang on one second. Leave it up there for a second. So these are in the river. And so this is a uh, obviously orange barrier. You won't fail to see it and wrapped around in um, metal of some kind. But it's also, it has nets. If they're floating buoys, like B-U-O-Y-S. I never know that saying that word correctly. Floating buoys with nets weighted to the floor of the river. So you can't swim under them because there are nets weighted to the floor. And this has now been put in as the first thousand feet along a high traffic stretch of the Rio Grande in Eagle Pass. So basically it's stopping people from crossing the river and entering America. So uh, you can go back to me now, Emilio, thank you. Uh, actually, no, quick the other show picture too. There's another picture too, stepping back a bit. So that's how it looks. I mean, you know, it, it's just a, it, it's a stops you from crossing the river. So there've been some objections, shockingly, from the Biden administration about what, and how can you possibly stop these legal immigrants, immigrants from crossing into America? So, you know, I wanted to ask you first, there's a very, very serious uh, concern expressed about um, a, a um, what is the term, muscle. It is a some kind of um, 
animal lives in the river. Yeah, so tell us about that. That that was the first objection the Biden administration came up with is that it'll hurt some river animal, right? Go ahead. Well, yeah. um, So this there's only a thousand feet of this barrier, uh, the water floating barrier implemented at this point. Uh, But the plan was to keep adding and adding and adding to it. And that was the threat to the Biden administration that forced action. And I mean multi-front war against this thing. Why? Because these things really work. It is like next to impossible to get to swim over it or under it or or anything. So the longer that barrier it is, uh, it will literally stop the mass migration crisis. The uh, proponents of mass migration know this. They know this in their guts. They know this in their heart of hearts that this thing will work. And so they had to declare war on that barrier. That's what's going on. First thing that happened was uh, the Biden administration filed a lawsuit uh, claiming you didn't get the right permissions, this, that, the other uh, federal lawsuit to um, have them remove that until they can get the permission that they'll never get, of course, because it has to be given by the Biden administration. So then um, the next thing that they did was, well, if that doesn't work, uh, we'll make up a bunch of fake stories about the barrier and spread it around in the media. So they spread around in the media that the barrier had killed migrants, that migrants were dying on this thing, Um, all of which has been proven to be untrue. Nobody has died on this thing or as a result of it or anywhere near it. Uh, But the propaganda is still out there. A third one is that, you know, there's all these razor, there's razor cutting, razor wire all over it. It's going to just kill immigrants that is that come anywhere near it that's a lie so there's all kinds of a big misinformation propaganda campaign going on about that to gin up political um opposition against it and then the last thing if all else fails is uh the administration's u.s fish and wildlife uh decided to uh propose a regulation to extend uh, Endangered Species Act protections to a mussel, uh, a shellfish that's that's threatened and rare, that just so happens to live right there in Eagle Pass, Texas, and all downstream from that they were pl- where they were planning to expand the barrier. Um, now that's going to take a, a few months for to process, but there's no explanation in this thing about how floats on top or even the nets are going to have any effect at all on clams. Um, as I wrote in my piece for the Daily Mail a few days ago, uh, the clams die from dirty water. The water is filthy dirty because of the mass migration crisis. All the, the people crossing by the millions living on the Mexican side, dumping their garbage and trash by the tons right into that river. Um, that is what is, if anything else, is killing the uh, mussels, as well as the fact that they're crushing footsteps across across the river bottom by the millions of people. Uh, there, no clam is going to be able to survive uh, just the, the pounding foot, footsteps. Uh, the whole thing is absurd and, it, I think, an obvious cynical ploy. Uh, and also, I'd point out, if all of a sudden they're so interested in the environment, 
where are they environmentalists about the filth that is being dumped into that river every day and destroying the riparian habitat on both sides of that river. Uh, I have photos and video to show just the devastation, the environmental catastrophe that has befallen that river since this mass migration began. That river barrier, I would contend, uh, would be the one thing that could save the river and the clams. Yes, a good point. You know, in your article, it was a great article. I meant to mention for listeners, they should definitely um, check out your article that relates to this, these um, floating marine barriers and all these silliness about the um, litigation about the, your New York Post article. Um, you had pictures in there of, of the level of trash. And I mean, and I never thought about it, but people cross the river. They and there many people are, are using the river as their restroom because there's no place. To, I mean, they're literally defecating in the river. They are obviously urinating, they get caught, the river's filthy, the people know not to drink the water, they get out, they strip off their wet clothes, they pile up, there's wet clothes, dirty clothes, diapers, you know, food wrappers, piling up by the tons of pictures in the New York Post article were uh, kind of gross. I decided not to show them, but they really, it's what people have to understand. This is not just a, a human story. All these environmentalists who care so much about everything, every little creature, and yet they're allowing yeah. the river to be just grotesquely fouled by this process, and they're more concerned to perpetuate the endless illegal immigration to America, even if it means hurting the river, and they are going, willing to step up and come up with a cockamamie theory about these uh, mussels being somehow uh, endangered by the, these new um, barriers. It, it's something unbelievable. Actually, one of the things, so it's fish and wildlife, um, and they all, they said it threatens endangered riverbed mussels. There was also the argument violates international requirements, like you should have gotten a permit from the government, which obviously would never come. The other funny one thing was, a funny thing was a private lawsuit by a kayaking company claiming the barrier ruins the recreational experience. I mean, it's just, these are all these left-wingers who love open borders, who do not care that we don't enforce our southern border. And they're hysterical because some border state, the biggest border state with the most people entering, the great state of Texas, found an effective and really very clean and positive way to stop this madness, this migration through the river. And they're hysterical, which is just making up foolishness. It's truly breathtaking. If you're ever looking for an admission that the entire purpose of everything the Biden administration is doing on the border, their entire purpose is to flood America with illegal aliens. You can fill in the blank of what you think will happen next. I have many ways I have filled the blank in. But there is not an effort to say, let's get the border under control. Let's try to be, make a safer process for the uh, immigrants. Let's try to make sure no more people drown in the river. None of that's going on in the Biden administration, none. It's all about leave the dang border open and flood America and we'll never lift a finger to enforce the border. It is simply outrageous. Obviously it makes me very mad because I think the American people, they didn't vote for this and they don't want it. Any more comment on that? I have one more. That was my my next rant, but you can go ahead. Uh, you know which part uh, that they don't want it? They didn't vote for it. Yeah. You didn't respond to any of it. I mean, is actually this is a good question. Is there any basis? You have studied immigration practice, immigration policy, and law for years. Is there any pro border enforcement, pro protect America mission that is being that is being carried forth? by the policies the Biden administration has in place? I mean, every statutory requirement uh, has been um, dismantled. 
There, there is no, they did everything. They, they told us what they were going to do. We're going to end detention, which is a major deterrent. We're going to end deportation. Uh, we're going to um, make the uh, illegal entry safe. We're going to make illegal entry orderly, and we're going to make it legal. And they've done all of that. They followed through on their campaign promises to the letter. Uh, what that means is there's no impediment to illegal entry. One way or another, you're going to get into the country if you show up at the southern border. That's just the way it's been for two and a half years. It's going to stay that way. I don't see any change at all. Flaming outrageous. Okay. I do want to take a couple of minutes about your book. Um, and I know I mentioned at the beginning of the show that your book is Overrun, How Joe Biden Unleashed the Greatest Border Crisis in U.S. History. Mr. Emilio, I sent you a picture of the book. I don't have it with me. I have it at home, but we are on vacation. But that's what the book looks like. Does that, is that, that's it, right? That's it. I have one right here. Oh, that's more beautiful. There you go. Uh, and you can order it on Amazon, um, which uh, I believe I did. So anyway, um, you can get his book. It's a really, I mean, it's a really compelling book. One thing you talked about in there, I think it'd be fun to talk about today, was as you worked along the border as a journalist and then working uh, with immigration officials of all kinds, you came across the understanding of the term la, and, and I'm, I don't speak Spanish. I can use it the French accent, but I'm in Spanish, la invitacion, the invitation. You talked about yes. that in this book. And can you just describe in your interviews of people coming across the border, how, what that term meant? Right, so this was very early in the border crisis. I knew what was happening, but it hadn't been reported yet widely, uh, but I could see what was happening. So I went to the Mexican town of Ojenaga, which is across from Presidio, Texas, very desert, remote uh, territory. I went there because there was this huge spike in running runners uh, who were getting away, being caught in groups of 50 or 100 in backpacks, uh, you know, back hiking through the wilderness to Interstate 10, and I ran into a, a smuggling guide for La Linea Cartel. Uh, under a bridge, he had just gotten back, he had a block of cocaine and a couple of prostitutes with him, and he was celebrating his recently completed journey, which he, where he had made a lot of money. And it was the, the, the last of many journeys where he had made a lot of money. There were more people coming through Ohanaga for these paying ten and $12,000 a piece for these smuggling trips that uh, I decided to go there and try to find out why, what was going on. And um, I asked this smuggler uh, while they were partying under the bridge with some friends, you know, to what do you owe this great prosperity of yours? Ohanaga's never been uh, famous for, you know, a lot of human smuggling, but now the numbers are through the roof. And his answer was, he went just like this. He goes, La Invitacion, the invitation. I said, well, what is that? He said, well, it's the thing that uh, we interpret when Joe Biden ended deportation in the interior. He had just implemented a, um, a moratorium on all deportations. And that means that if you ran through the border and got in, nobody would ever sweat you. So it was this huge draw. And he said that was the invitation. And so were all of the so was all of the talk of welcoming among the Democratic primary candidates for the prior year. 
uh, we're going to open the border. We're going to give everybody free health care. We're going to end uh, criminalization of the border. Remember, they would all raise their hands. That was the invitation. And the whole world heard it. Everybody heard this. They watched those televised debates and they read those televised debates as an invitation to sell everything and get to the border as soon as you can because the Democrats are going to let you in. Coming from a cartel guy who's making money, who has no axe to grind, isn't Democrat, isn't Republican, isn't partisan, means to me that it has a tremendous amount of credibility. Uh, that guy knew what he was talking about, and I believe him. Uh, and I heard many, many immigrants, uh, hundreds of them, tell me that that's why they came. To be precise, they're saying the, the Biden administration's policies, along with the messages from many leaders of the Democrat Party, including occurring in the primaries and in election season, they were essentially saying, we welcome immigrants, we encourage you, we want to decriminalize you know, illegal entry. All of that was heard by millions as an invitation to come to America that even though they claim to be a sovereign country and they have a border, they'll let you in and you'll get to stay. That's how they heard it. And that was, in my view, exactly how it was intended. It was intended. Now you touched on something that we're almost out of time, but I got to make sure. You believe, I think you were on Maria Bartiromo or some show where you talked about, uh, and I've heard this before, but I'd love to have you, if you can take a couple of minutes, the cartels, the Mexican incredibly violent, dangerous cartels actually control both sides of the border. I believe is what you said. Is that accurate? Or can you talk about that briefly? Yeah, there are some areas uh, on the uh, on the American side that are wholly controlled by armed gunmen from the cartels. Uh, one town that comes to mind is Fronton, Texas. Recently, we all saw photos of the gunmen that were taken by game cameras. Uh, that was at Fronton. Uh, and there are areas that you just, you can't really go. Law enforcement doesn't go there. The, the, the property owners don't really control their own property and it's lead or gold for them. You're either with us or we're going to kill you. So um, that's how they do it. There, there are a few towns that are, that are like that, but on the U.S. side, but on the Mexican side, there are just hundreds of mile long swaths that are all like that. They control everything that comes and goes. Uh, there are some areas that are less uh, controlled by the cartels. Uh, so it's not universal, the entire border, but there are very long stretches that are controlled on both sides uh, by the cartels. Okay, so back to your testimony in Congress, you uh, gave lengthy testimony. Did you have the sense from any questions or reaction you received uh, did you, I mean, because I will tell you that I, I do, I think the Democrat Party has its very conscious plan to, and it's why all the Democrats go along with it, to let the southern border be overrun for whatever reasons you want to contribute to that. But did you get the sense from the Republicans where you were testifying that they really want to take action or did, or did you, or not? What was your sense of their reaction? I think that they, that they are pretty serious about taking some kind of action, but that their capability to take action is very limited uh, because they don't have the other, first of all, they don't have a very big majority of the House. It's a very slender, tenuous majority of the House and they don't have the Senate at all and they don't have the White House. So whatever you want them to do, they're not really gonna be able to do it. But I will give them credit for holding hearings. 
which we desperately needed after two years of this border crisis where the House was under Democratic control and they would not allow any hearings. Uh, they would not allow anything. I, I, got, I was invited to testify to a border caucus, a, a freedom uh, a caucus border hearing that Nancy Pelosi refused to allow on the Hill, so they had to take it off campus uh, to some private club somewhere. Uh, that's the degree to which the Democrats were just suppressing this information about the border. So I do think it's very important to have these hearings, to get things on the record, to draw whatever attention that can be drawn to them, and to get ideas about how to shut this thing down when the time comes. It's good. Yeah, it's good to have it. You know, people always say they're kind of, well, the House has, you know, the Constitution made it clear, House has the power of the purse. I think the situation is serious enough. I'm, I like to hear some rumblings from conservatives and uh, Republicans in the U.S. House saying we're going to defund or hold back money from uh, Homeland Security until you actually do this. I don't know if they have a majority to stand with that, but the idea that's the only power they have. And otherwise, we sit here now, uh, we're in August of 2023, we have elections, you know, presidential election, and the change into new office is, you know, it's almost it's a year and a half away before a new president, hopefully a new president takes over. And uh, so much more damage is being done to this country in that time period. So um, I, I kind of like the purse string argument, but I know it's hard to get a, a majority to do it. Okay, Todd Benzman, first of all, I'm so glad you're available. Thank you for joining me. Again, for everyone listening, the organization where he is uh, connected is Center for Immigration Studies, CIS, CIS.org. He is a center's Texas-based senior national security fellow, enormously informed uh, expert on border policy, what's actually happening in America's border, immigration policy. Um, and you just feel good someone with some you know, knowledge and principled approach to the, the border uh, is doing such great thinking about it. So Todd Benzman, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. It's been too long. Has been too long. Great to see you. And friends, again, next week, it's our anniversary no-show. Following week, we have Gordon Chang joining us. And he he is so loaded for Bear. He's so ready to talk. I cannot wait for that show. So again, I want to thank you for tuning in to America Can We Talk every Monday through Thursday at 3 p.m. Central Time. You can find every single show we have ever done on our website, americacanwetalk.org. Tune in, check out americacanwetalk.org. And thank you for listening today. I do this show, America Can We Talk, to speak up for America because America matters. And I will talk to you next time. America, can we talk truth about America? Can you hear-